Beloved, if you would please turn in God's holy word to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Grace, it's just not fair. That's the title of the sermon. We've been uh, kind of looking through the parables of the kingdom. We have observed uh, frequently the parables uh, to the broken and contrite of heart. They reveal the secrets of the king and his kingdom. But those who are self-righteous and self-sufficient and proud, they conceal and they actually end up judging. Uh, It's kind of serious and sobering to think about that reality as we think about that in light of uh, Jesus' teaching on the parables. Well, Matthew's purpose here in this parable is to explain the um, the kingdom principle of reversal that um, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you'll notice in the pericope that we're going to read 1 through 20, verse 16 is very similar to chapter 19, verse 30. Basically, they say the same thing. They, they rehearse this principle that the first shall be last and the last first. So let me pray for us and uh, let's go before the Lord and ask the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the vineyard, uh, to bless his word and bless our time in it. Lord, you are the Lord of the vineyard, the Lord of the harvest, the vineyard owner who has gone out into the marketplace of the world. You call whosoever will come, let him come. Come by and eat without money, without cost, uh, that their soul might live. Lord, we would come now as those who've heard that call effectually in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, having been quickened by your Spirit in that effectual call, united to him, and now placed in him. That's where our residency is. It's where our lives are now hidden in heavenly places in him. That He is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, Lord, and he is our faithful husband and caretaker. So, Lord, we would come to you. We who are evil know how to give good gifts Uh, to our children, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And Lord, we pray this without doubting, uh, even as Naaman doubted at first and was beseeched by his servants to take the word at face value and go and take the promise and do what you say, to dip in the river seven times that he might be cleansed. So Father, we in faith believe that you will give the Holy Spirit, so give it, we pray. Give him who is our great comforter, our great portion. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. Labors in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day... He sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the ninth hour, that is 9 a.m., he saw others standing idly or idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, that is 12 p.m., and at the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m., He, the master of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, that is 5 p.m., he, the master of the vineyard, went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? 
They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal with us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he, the master, replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you, I'm doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. Beloved, I truly believe what I'm about to say. I've thought about it many times in the economy of heaven and the economy of grace. Heaven is a place that is going to be full of surprises. And likewise, I I think hell will be surprising as well. I really do. Many who would you would expect to be the first will be last. And likewise, many who you might to be you might expect to be last will end up being first. And I think that's the, the thrust of what uh, Matthew here under the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. Uh, the economy of, not the monetary policy of heaven, but rather the economy of grace and how God is gracious. And that's who he is in his nature. And it's his right to give grace according to how he sees fit. It belongs to him and does not the owner of the vineyard have the right to do what he chooses to do. We're going to look at that in detail. But many commentators, and I think this is helpful, have noted the similarity between this parable and the parable of the prodigal son, or should we say the the prodigal son, right, in Luke 15, particularly as it relates to the jealousy of the older brothers over his father's grace to his younger brother. Let me just read a little bit to you, and I think you'll pick up on what I'm hinting at and what I'm trying to say to you this evening. In Luke uh, 15, 25 to 32, we pick up with the reading, now the prodigal has come home, right? He's been eating uh, the pig food there, and he's had this epiphany. He's been quickened by grace. He says, I will go to my father's house. Even the servants of my father's house have it better than I do. I'm a fool. And he begins to rehearse his, his speech that he's going to make to his father. But lo and behold, as he's on his way home, who comes and greets him? The father, the father. And you wonder how many days the father had gone out to see if this prodigal would come home. Well, here's the day the prodigal comes home. The father picks up the garments and he runs to his prodigal and he puts his arms around him and he loves this prodigal. Oh, this son of mine who was lost is now home. Bring the fatted calf. Let's have a party. Let's have a feast. Even as heaven rejoices over the repentance of one sinner. There's a party, right? Let's put the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, right? So we pick up as everyone's celebrating, everyone's festive, everyone's happy. And in verse 25, you know, we have this little breakaway 
in the camera, as it were. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Must not have been a Presbyterian, I don't know. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He was angry. He refused to go in. So, again, his father went out and pleaded with him. Don't miss that. Don't miss both of those prodigals and the heart of the father. But he, the older son, answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, isn't that beautiful? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And now here in Matthew 20, we see the same spirit, the, the same spirit of jealousy and grumbling of the first workers over the vineyard owner's grace to those who came in at the 11th hour, at 5 o'clock, at the end of the day when there was one, only one hour of work rendered. You see, at the end of the day, all the servants received the same wage, those who came in at 6 and subsequently at 9 a.m. and then at 12 p.m. and then 3 p.m. and then 5 p.m. How do we explain this? It doesn't seem fair. The workers who worked all day in the heat of the day received the same wage as those who worked only one hour. How is this fair? It's not. It's not fair. It's called grace. The scandalous, unmerited grace of the living God shown in this vineyard owner who lavishes it on these servants. You see, saints, we need to understand that it's that none of God's grace are earned, none are merited, and none are deserved. Let's look at the text quickly this evening under two headings, the call and the rewards. The call and the rewards. So let's start first with the call. The Jewish day began at 6 a.m. and concluded at 6 p.m. We're told that the kingdom of God is like a vineyard owner who early in the morning went out to the marketplace to look for workers for the day. No doubt he wanted to get a full day's work. The harvest had to be brought in if it stayed on the vine too long the crops could potentially rot. And I think that's why he's going out repeatedly because there's this, this uh, desire and the necessity to get the grapes and get the harvest in. Because as he tells us in Mar- uh, Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? So the harvest has to be brought home so the vineyard owner can gather in all of his crops. 
We're told in verse 2 that a contract was mutually agreed upon. The workers would work for a whole denarius uh, for the day, a day, uh, day wage. It was a silver coin. That was the expected pay. Uh, and for reasons we're not told, again, the vineyard owner went back um, again and again throughout the day to secure more workers. And we're told that the landowner went out again at the third hour, that is 9 a.m., saw others standing idly in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard, promising them he would pay whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, right? It was negotiated, probably a percentage of a denarius. A denarius is a whole day's wage. Well, they're not going to work a whole day. They're only going to work from 9 to 6, right? Now, it's assumed that their wage would be the appropriate uh, amount. So they went out and went into the Uh, went into the vineyard. We're told in verse 5 that the vineyard owner goes out to the marketplace again the sixth hour at noon and again at at the ninth hour at three to secure more workers. But we're not told at this time what were the wages. There was no talk of any compensation, at least not in the parable, right? Then at the eleventh hour, that's 5 p.m., the last working hour of the day, the vineyard owner goes out and yet again hires workers, hires still more workers who are standing idly by. These men had probably given up any hope that day of finding any work, right? The vineyard owner asked him in verse 6, Why do you stand idle here all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. The owner tells them, You go into the vineyard too. Jesus says the kingdom is likened to a vineyard owner, right? This owner in the story is no doubt God. The workers hired throughout the day are his servants. Now some take this text, and I was surprised at this. Jeff, you would find this fascinating, that J.C. Ryle takes this text and understands it redemptive historically. Meaning, what Jesus is teaching here is that the, the workers who work early in the day are the Jews, right? The Jews who work in the vineyard early in the morning are those who are working in the vineyard of God and working throughout the day. The latecomers, those who come in at the 11th hour in the new covenant, are the Gentiles who've been called coming in, as it were, late in the last hours of the last days. Now, I think you can make a case for that theologically, but I don't know necessarily that's the way that I want to go this evening. But I want us to look particularly as it, at the text from more or less an ordo salutis from a personal salvation standpoint, personal salvation perspective. Now, we know that there are those who are called from their youth to serve God, right? We think of our covenant children. We pray that they would never know a day when they didn't love and treasure Jesus Christ, right? We grow up in the visible church, not knowing a day when they don't know Christ and the cross and the sweetness of their forgiveness of sins. You think of John the Baptist, Timothy, who knew the scriptures from childhood, Obadiah, as we saw in 1 Kings 18, feared the Lord from his youth. But there are others still, like Paul, like myself, who was converted as an adult, right? As well as the thief on the cross, who also was received into the kingdom in the 11th hour. Beloved, the affectional call of God comes to every Christian, but not always at the same time, right? The same providence. But each Christian is called providentially in God's goodness uh, by the Spirit into union with Jesus Christ. The question we must ask is, do all, whether those called from their youth or those called in the 11th hour of their lives, share equally in salvation, right? Do they share equally in salvation? And that's the The second part I want to look to, it's where we're going to spend the majority of our time, and the rewards. In Deuteronomy 24, 15, it was required in the law of Moses that a day laborer had to be paid at the end of the day. Listen to what the Word of God says. You shall give him his wages on the same day. 
before the sun sets, for he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. And as required, we're told in verse 8 in this parable, when evening came, that is about 6 p.m., the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, giving them, or excuse me, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m. came, each of them received a denarius. Now, as I thought about this, as the, the last are now called to be paid first to receive the denarius, wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall to see that coin, that silver coin drop into those hands, those tattered hands, those weary hands, right? Now, they've only worked an hour, but they're not receiving a percentage. They're receiving a whole day's wage for only one hour's of work, right? You see, the vineyard owner was incredibly gracious. He's, he's, he's lavishing grace. It's just it's, it's oozing out of him to give it to these folks, right? Clearly giving them what they have not merited. No doubt those who came in early that morning, they took notice, right? They couldn't help but wonder, what would they receive? Wow, we've worked, what, 12 times longer? <laughs> if they received a whole denarius for one hour work, well, then what am I going to get? Right? So they're beaming. They're excited. They're expecting great things. Surely they thought they would be paid more, yet that was not to be. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, that's those who had hired that early that morning at 6 a.m., they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. They can't believe it. Didn't the owner see what I did? I, I've been here 12 hours longer than that, dude. Look at these hands. They're bloodied and weary. I've been in the vineyard all day. Not only that, I've, I've worked longer and harder. I, I've worked in the heat of the day. They're extremely upset. Verse 12. These last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal with us to have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. All right? You can hear them. It's not fair. I'm going to call my union rep tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow, I'm going to call my lawyer. We're going to settle this, get this straight. And beloved, I thought to myself, if you listen closely, can you not hear the elder brother's voice in the background? It's kind of eerily playing in the background. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a young goat so I could go and celebrate with my friends. The resentment. You see, beloved, the parable is absolutely genius, isn't it? It's genius in exposing our confusion about the nature of grace and our hidden self-righteousness. The vineyard owner responds to the complaints. Notice what he says, verse 13. Notice the first word, friend. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> Even there, the grumbling. You know, the picture of God kind of wooing the sinner. Come. Even there, come. Come. There's still grace for you, even now, friend. Friend, 
I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? You see, there was no injustice there. Both the workers and the vineyard owner had agreed. They had a covenant earlier that day that they were going to work the whole day and they were going to receive a Darius at the end of the day, right? And they exact, he got exactly what they agreed upon. Leon Morris says this. He says, the fact that the owner cho- chose to be generous to the laborers who came in late gave these men no new rights. There was no new rights just because you worked longer, right? Their discontent is due to envy, having an evil eye, not to some injustice on the part of the vineyard owner. Verse 14, take what belongs to you. I choose to give it to those last workers I gave it to you. Notice the owner says, I give it to you. I gave it to them. He doesn't say they earned it. He says, I gave it to them. Verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose to do with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Literally, is, is is your eye evil because I'm good? Just because you're envious? (laughs) Beloved, doesn't the owner have the right to do with with what he has, what he wants, right? Wishes what what he has, right? Saints, the problem is not with the owner, but with the grumblers. What they hated was the generosity of the owner because their hearts were evil. R.T. France says this, God's generosity transcends human ideas of fairness. No one receives less than they deserve, but some receive far more. So in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first, and the first last. I want to conclude by looking at just two stumbling blocks, why we have such a problem with grace, particularly as it's given to sinners. Our modern egalitarian bias... I believe, undermines our ability to fully appreciate this parable. Many in our society today assume justice requires that all gifts be distributed equally and that labor be rewarded proportionately, right? We hear a lot of talk about equity, right? Not equality, but equity. But biblically speaking, the owner in the parable has the right to do with his money what he wants to do with it, doesn't he? It's his money. We shouldn't begrudge the owner's generosity just because we're not benefactors of the generosity, right? I wish there were some kids. There are some. I think Lydia's back there, right? Kids, if I have a bag of candy, I can sell or give it away as I please. It's my bag. Now, it might be nice if I choose to share it with you, but am I obligated to it? No, I'm not obligated to share that. The parable before us this evening assumes the righteousness of the principle that the owner has a right to dispose of what is his and how he sees fit to do so. This is exactly Paul's point in the mercy of God, regarding the mercy of God in Romans 9, is it not? Beloved, God makes distinctions. Grace and mercy make distinctions. Listen to Paul in Romans 9. 9.15 For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
Verse 18, So then, he who has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. In verse 21 of Romans 9, Has not the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same fallen lump one vessel for honor and another for dishonorable use? Beloved, God is no man's debtor. If he gives grace to one and not another, is that not his right? And that's clearly what he's doing here. And the second truth I think we stumble over, not only because of our egalitarian culture and milieu in which we reside, but secondly, the second truth is that causes us to stumble is just plain old self-righteousness. Just like those early workers who resented the grace of the vineyard owner, giving those who came in at the 11th hour at 5 p.m. the same wage that those who came in at 6. We are often, if we're totally honest... We take issue with God saving sinners at the 11th hour. Because in our Adamic nature, we really do believe we are better than other people. We think in our hearts it's not fair, right? We say things like this. He doesn't deserve to go to heaven. She never righted the wrongs that she had against me. Yeah, my sins are pretty bad, but but theirs, theirs are pretty evil. You see, we have this evil in our eye. We begrudge the fact that the king and the vineyard owner gives grace to whom he will, how he will, when he will. You see, beloved, when we think this way, it just reveals to us that we really know very little, if anything, about saving grace. You see, we might have a theology of grace. We might even have a theory of grace. But we've never experienced grace. Jonathan Edwards has this fascinating illustration about this. It's kind of like having a theory of what honey tastes like. Right? I could be a chemist. Let's say I'm a chemist and I work with honey. And I'm going to tell you where this honey was made, where these bees came in and where it was produced and so forth and so on. I could tell you all about it. That's a nice theory. But until I put the honey on the spoon, and put the spoon in my mouth, it's only a theory. I have no experiential knowledge of grace. I have no experiential knowledge of the honey. Do you have a knowledge of the honey of God's grace this evening? Have you tasted of it? Do you know it? Do you know its goodness? You see, these are the things I think God's trying to teach us here. And this parable teaches us that, that all of salvation is all of grace, right? Whether we're called early in life or, or late, all who receive it, we receive it by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all to the glory alone. And if you're a quick study and a quick learner, that word alone appears a lot, doesn't it? It's all of grace alone. So when we see people who are different than us, who, who don't look like us, who have different political philosophies than us, who maybe don't smell like us, dress like us, aren't as educated as we are, and we see them coming into the kingdom of God, you know what we need to do? We need to join heaven's party and rejoice. And we find ourselves saying, oh, they don't, how does God save that person? How would he ever save somebody like that? Well, the same could be asked of you, of me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not your own doing. 
It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, he's our only boast. Right? At the end of the day, isn't it all about Jesus? Jesus is better, and he's our only boast. He's my righteousness. I stand in him, I preach in him, I fail in him, whatever I do, right? I do it all in him because that's where I'm in union with Jesus Christ by faith. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you have saved us. You've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord Jesus Christ, you've crowned us uh, with mercy and kindness. Lord, you've clothed us with a robe. You put sandals on our feet. You put a ring on our finger. You're throwing a feast and a party for us because we who were lost have been found. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray that the grace of God we continue to teach our hearts to fear. Lord, because you forgive sins, you are to be feared. Oh, Father, we pray and ask that you would create and work in us humility and meekness to rejoice with heaven's rejoicing over a sinner who repents and turns. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.